It's in the dominant white Western culture's interest to tell the story as if, wow, wasn't it amazing the way Western Europe invented printing and then everything changed and suddenly information was free. The point is not, it's a bad idea to make information free. The point is, it's, it was never free in the first place. Societies and nations have origin stories. Their histories are used to build justification for present-day structures. But what if those stories are myths? I am Madian Andrade, and from the University of Toronto, this is The New Normal. I grew up in New Zealand, and people will often say to me, if you're from New Zealand, why are you here? <laughs> and I even put an R into that. Actually, people will say, if I'm in New Zealand, well, if you're from New Zealand, why are you there? Um, and they don't put an R into that rule. Nerd, nerdy, nerdy. I'm trying to, I try to, I practice R's in front of the mirror. Uh, so apologies to all listeners for my inability to use the letter in the alphabet that is an R. <laughs> Professor Alexandra Gillespie is an internationally renowned researcher in the Department of English. In 2020, she was appointed Vice President of the University of Toronto and Principal of the University of Toronto, Mississauga. So what path kind of brought you to Toronto? It's such a good question. I actually think a lot of it was to do with my ambition to live a life of the mind. To, to follow a career where as a woman, I could see a way up a ladder really clearly. And it wasn't clear to me exactly how to do that except in academia. But I think perhaps the most important piece in this puzzle is that the woman in my family who had a university degree and who in fact had had an academic career was at Wilfrid Laurier University. She was ah. my aunt. Uh, her name was Marianne Fields. She was a geneticist, so a scientist, a biologist, just like you. Fantastic. And so, in fact, the very first university campus that I ever set foot on was not in New Zealand. It was Wilfrid Laurier University here in Canada. The very first lab that I ever stepped into was her lab, and I saw fruit flies because she was a geneticist. <laughs> so, of course, she was teaching like that. And when we were here in camp, I was 14 at that point, we'd come to visit them. And I also, at that stage, was a passionate amateur naturalist. At that stage, I really just wanted to be David Attenborough. But as you can imagine, since I'm a professor of English literature, I pivoted <laughs> at some point. And I did. I... My early work was on English literature and the way that at the end of what we call the Middle Ages, so 14th through mid-15th century, you're still operating in a manuscript culture where everything is handwritten. Her research at the shift from medieval to modern, also asks, who had the power to tell the stories that shaped the world? It's much more than just a transition from handwritten to type. Until you get to between 1450 and about 1480 in Europe, in Western Europe, and you have the introduction of movable type, Why is it that we think of printing in West, the Western European context as so transformational? Why, why do we have this understanding? 
Um, the answer is because of all the other things that are happening in Western Europe at that moment. And what are they if you think of 1450? Well, there's the, the so-called fall of Constantinople, which is to say there's this key moment where the Byzantine Empire uh, gives way to the Ottoman incursion. And you start to see new kinds of narratives about Europe's relationship to the to Muslim peoples. So Islamophobia, that's a context. Mm -hmm. Another context is the Portuguese incursions in Africa and the beginning of the enslavement of African people and the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade. That's huge. In 1492, rather famously, someone called Christopher Columbus sails the ocean blue and shows up in you know, Mesoamerica and starts the genocide there. And they had an amazing book culture in the Aztec and Mayan uh, civilizations. Oh. So that, that's happening. Mm -hmm. We're also seeing changes in the way uh, that, that economies work, which have got to do with banking systems, credit systems. But what I would say is that the key things there, to my mind, are the rise of modernity on the basis of belligerent, violent colonialism and um, the enslavement of African peoples in particular, and the way that those two things lead to a an extraction of wealth from the whole globe to Western Europe. And what that means is that Western Europe gets to tell its story about printing, not just tell its story about printing, but actually it gets to take its technology of printing and spread it around the whole world. To me, and it, this is a very different way of thinking about the history of text technological transformation from the way we normally tell it, from for instance, the way our late colleague at the University of Toronto, Marshall McLuhan tells it, which is that it's the it's the the messages in the medium, right? That it's the medium that changes everything. I'm like, no, no. It, the the sure, the medium's incredibly. Important. So then, as now, the medium is the message, but it is also a tool, a tool that confers, perpetuates, and expands power. But it's the medium, and it's very specific, socio-political, economic, and historical context that determines the way that the medium got used and also the way that we think about what that medium is the way that it you know what its power was and so on and it, it's in our interests I say our and I'm speaking at this moment as a settler colonizer in Canada and as a as a previously a settler colonizer in New Zealand it's in the dominant white western cultures interest to tell the story as if wow wasn't it amazing the way western europe invented printing and then everything changed and suddenly information was free and suddenly there was enlightenment and science and democracy and we got rid of the awful catholic church i mean they're still there but they were awful so we mostly got rid of them and all these other kind of narratives mm -hmm. of renaissance reformation i mean renaissance rebirth right we, right we got rid of the whole dark ages we didn't like the darkness we went back to those really nice white italians all their white statues it was so great um all these myths instead of saying actually what happened at exactly that moment is we started enslaving people um and extracting wealth from you know invading the rest of the world and extracting wealth from it and bringing it back to western europe that that was the pattern and at the time one of our tools for sure no question was the printing press along with better sailing ships you know mass you know better uses of gunpowder etc sure technology helped us with that w was it the inventions or was it the wealth that we were extracting from other parts of the world 
that actually that gave us this power was it because we were so clever and ingenious that we made these inventions or was it that we took other people's labor for free um violently so, so yeah. it's not the democratization of, of information say which is, no because I, I think we've seen that doesn't work so well have you have you read no, Carla exactly. lately Exactly. <laughs> the democratization um, of information is not per se well, let's, let's follow liberating. up on that. Let's follow up on that because that was somewhere that's where I wanted to go eventually, which is Do you remember your history classes? If I asked you, who invented the printing press? What would you say? What if I told you you're likely to be wrong? This is one of the myths that spread along with colonization. We have made the story of printing and of the advance of media and information technologies and text technologies we've made that a part of a kind of myth of enlightenment of progress of western triumph triumph right a triumphalist teleological narrative in which the west goes from so benighted ignorance to uh, to knowing lots to democratizing knowledge to mass education to, to the enfranchisement of, of millions and so on. And there's no doubt some of those things have actually happened. There is mass education. Millions have been enfranchised and right. have textual tools been a part of that? Yeah, well, obviously you can't have mass education if you can't mass print textbooks. So, so yes, they have. So that is all true. But there's also, I have suggested in this conversation, some myth telling there which says, well, that happened because we were so ingenious that they might have invented printing movable type in Korea, but it wasn't until a clever German goldsmith got his hands on it that we really figured out how to do something useful with it, like that kind of myth telling. Right. And it's a myth and it's it's got white supremacist uh, sort of threads and threads and core. That's a that's a binding metaphor there. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and it, uh, I also think it's a dangerous myth, really dangerous myth, not just for its racism, and it's, or it's chauvinism, if you like. Um, but because one of the things that it suggests is that simply letting information be more free, right? If we just yeah. make everything free, if I just take all the information about you, Marianne, and I just get it out there, what harm can that do, right? right? Like can't do right. any harm. It can only be good, democratize it. And you, you can sort of, I do believe that that is built on that essential um, liberal myth um, mm -hmm. that you you know of not understanding the much more complex ways in which knowledge is embedded in structures of power. It can is I, can I just the, summarize one? Yeah, piece? sure. Please. Is it is it also that there's a responsibility with with yeah. widespread knowledge? Yeah, because and also because you're never freeing all knowledge. You're no. not. You're no. always only freeing a tiny, tiny, yeah. tiny part of knowledge. What think of? And guess whose like, piece it is. What do you? Yeah, guess right. whose piece it is. You can argue that that, or sometimes this is how the argument goes, that the history of text technology has been about putting, democratizing the tools of information's dissemination more and more, that it's that in the beginning there, you know, hardly anyone can do it. Um, and now we're in the situation where everybody's got a phone in their hand that, you know, that has a computer that could run a country inside yeah. it and you can use it to communicate with millions, with billions, millions, billions of people. The point is not, it's a bad idea to make information free. The point is, it's it was never free in the first place. It wasn't. And in fact, 
that the solution is not to try to make a system that makes it more and more free. The point is to become conscious of the ways in which it's not free so that we can be much, much more intentional about the way in which we do what it is we're doing. Let's ask ourselves the question, what kinds of communities do we form around writing? What kinds of communities do we want to form around the things we share on Facebook? What kinds of communities do we want to share around the things that we read? What, what do we want What do we want to read? Um, not just like, oh, I'm just opening up Twitter, I'm just letting it happen to me. But what, what do I want to build in this world? And what, what do I want to be a part of? And insisting that uh, governments, corporations, um, other human beings, citizens, be intentional with us and help us put the tools in our hands to make those kinds of curatorial choices, I think. I am Mady Ann Andrade. This is the new normal.